Well, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to finish that whole chapter today. There's some weeks in the office where uh, it's, it's kind of difficult in the study, I should say. Last week, before the message, I put hours in on the message in just the study alone. At the end of the day, I thought to myself, I might as well have just gone golfing. That's the way it felt because just nothing was coming together. And so then you, you plead with the Lord in prayer saying, Lord, I, I need your help. I really do need your help before I preach. And then there are other weeks like this week where just an hour into the study, I find myself worshiping God because of the implications of the truth that we're looking at today from these verses. And and it's just a blessed passage. According to Scripture, um, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those There are those who have the Spirit and those who don't. There are those who will spend eternity in heaven and those who will spend eternity in the lake of fire. There are those who are children of light and those who are children of darkness. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in the passage that we read, Paul distinguishes between those two kinds of people. The people who do not accept spiritual truth, they're called the natural person. We saw that in verse number 14. And those who have what verse number 16 call the mind of Christ, in, in verse number 6, he calls them the mature. The mature there is not someone who who's a spiritual guru. He's using that term to describe somebody who knows Christ, somebody who has a spirit in him. In chapter 3, he'll unpack that a little bit further. But those are two distinctions that Paul makes in, in this chapter. And so when Paul uses the term natural person in verse number 14, he's describing someone who is without Christ. He's describing their outlook. Their outlook is natural, using the natural senses. They center everything of their life on what can be seen or heard or obtained. The things that are physical and natural and temporal and all the things that can be perceived and understood that way. They have no, listen, they have no ability to understand anything of greater value than what can be perceived in this life. In verse number six, God call, or Paul calls everything that they can perceive in this life the wisdom of this age. Everything that can be touched, seen, bought, felt, um, bartered for, whatever else, it's wisdom of this age and it is doomed to pass away. And in a way, don't you feel sorrow for somebody who's in this in the state, somebody whose whole life is centered on things that are going to pass away. It, it's, it's really, you can feel sorry for them. Um, the wisdom of this age is something that's addressed in the Bible. Solomon writes about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and Ecclesiastes, by the way, is written, Paul, or Paul, Paul didn't write Ecclesiastes, did he? Um, what is his name? Solomon. Solomon writes Ecclesiastes. From the perspective of somebody who does not have an eternal compass until the very end when he sums it all up. But listen to how he described worldly wisdom. He said this in chapter 1. He said, I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under the heaven. His conclusion, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. It doesn't make you very happy to seek out worldly wisdom. And so what he did, well, if wisdom's not going to work, I'm going to strive for self-indulgence. 
He didn't deny himself anything. And so this is his conclusion. He said, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. So that wisdom he sought, he still had. And so he's adding to his worldly wisdom. He was adding self-indulgence. And he said, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all all my toil, and this is my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was all vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so Solomon said, wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of, of hedonism, self-indulgence, leads you to, to realize that it's empty. He, and he thought, well, if, if self-indulgence doesn't work, maybe being a workaholic will work. I was just talking about this with somebody this morning uh, made this observation. Well, then again, maybe it won't work. He says, what is a man from all the toil and striving of heart for, with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is all vanity. So, so far, so Solomon has said, well, wisdom's not going to work, worldly wisdom. Self-indulgence isn't going to work. And being a workaholic's not going to work. How about just plain old greed? Is greed going to work? Just getting rich. And he says this, if a man fathers a hundred children, Solomon probably had a few more than that. And Liz, did I say Saul? Saul I did say Solomon. Okay, I am sorry about that. But uh, um, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he has no burial... I say a stillborn child is better off than he. And so what he did in Ecclesiastes is he literally wrapped up everything that this world thinks is of value. Education. Education is the key to everything, isn't it? In this world. Hedonism. Deny yourself no pleasure in this life. Work. Just be a workaholic and attain everything you can. And money. Money solves every problem the world has to say, has to offer, right? And what does, what does Solomon say? It's vanity. Because all of these things will pass away and they don't satisfy. And yet, these are the things that generation after generation of the world says we need to strive to obtain this and every generation sees what the generation does before them and thinks they're wiser than the generation before them and they fall on the rocky cliffs of vain worldly philosophies now remember paul is writing to the corinthian church that is having trouble with disunity they are particularly having trouble with allegiances to human wisdom and human philosophies and using it in spiritual ministries. And it's not a small thing to take uh, human thinking and philosophy and add it to spiritual ministry. In Paul's mind, listen to this, in Paul's mind, um, this lack of genuine wisdom leads to all kinds of problems. And he he, uh, he goes through what those are in the rest of the book. And they include sexual immorality and idolatry and other things. And Paul spends a lot of time addressing these problems. You go to Romans, Romans chapter number 1, and he says, uh, man in his wisdom 
It leads to idolatry and sexual immorality and all sorts of perversions and ultimately to the, the, to the judgment of God. And, and what I want to share with you today, in spite of the sobering introduction, my goal is really to encourage you and even bring your heart to worship because God grants His wisdom only to believers. If you are saved then you have God's wisdom. If you are redeemed, you have the very mind of Christ. And it wasn't given to you because you're wise, because you're rich, or because of any trait that you possess. Rather, Paul, uh, God ordained from the beginning of time that you would be able to have the mind of Christ. And because of this, the earthly temporal blessings that you enjoy, but everybody else, you enjoy them in their place, but everybody else is striving for them with all their might. You enjoy it in its place because you know that it's passing away. And the thing that you truly treasure is that you're going to be with Jesus Christ and the Lord for all of eternity. God ordained that before the beginning of time. It's such a blessing. And so what Paul does is he talks about, if you want to call it the gospel, I'm going to call it genuine wisdom. And and he teaches us two major things about the mind of Christ, genuine wisdom. Number one, he says that genuine wisdom is not humanly discovered. In verses 6 to 9, for man to search for God, for God's wisdom on his own is futile. It's like a flea trying to learn calculus. It's even worse than that, actually. Verse 6 tells us that you can't use the wisdom of this age to get the mind of Christ. That is, and that's all, think, that's all the natural man has. If, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, the only way that you can attain the mind of Christ is to use natural means, worldly philosophies. And Paul says, you can't do it. You might as well try to teach your your dog French or something like that. It's just, it's not, it's not going to work. It's not workable. He has the wisdom of this age. The wisdom of this age says this, the man's greatest need is security. Maybe man's greatest need is peace or, or stability or self-actualization or uh, whatever, whatever term you want to stick in there. And Paul says that all of these things are doomed to pass away. Everything that is worldly wisdom that is valued is vain and futile and empty. And we result in emptiness because it will pass away and be gone forever. And so man can't find genuine wisdom because he's not even asking the right questions. The right question is, how can a man be right with God? The right question is, how can I spend forever in eternity with God? The right question is, how can I please God? And man in his wisdom is asking, how can I have peace? How can I have stability in this world? How can I get my kids to obey? How can I? And you pick the question, and they're not even the right question. It's akin to somebody having being impaled by a limb, and they're bleeding out. And they go to the doctor, and they're losing blood like crazy. And they look at the doctor and say, hey, doc, do you know anywhere I can get a good haircut? 
it's, it's literally as ridiculous as that because that's the absolute wrong question to ask, isn't it? And that's, that's what man, with worldly philosophy, that's all that he has. Man isn't going to find it because the answer is found in Scripture. It's the message of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, But we impart a secret wisdom, a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now what is hidden wisdom? It says, we, we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom. What is this secret? What is this hidden wisdom? That word hidden wisdom is the word mysterion. We get the English word mystery. And in Paul's letters, anytime you see the word mystery or something that is hidden that has been revealed, he is speaking of something, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was uh, distantly outlined in the Old Testament. Old Testament saints had maybe a, a faint outline of the gospel of Christ, but it has been completely revealed in the New Testament to New Testament saints. And so the, when the Bible says that John the Baptist is the greatest of all the prophets, it's because John the Baptist actually saw Jesus Christ. And so you have had this mystery revealed, and it was decreed, Before the ages, God didn't impart His wisdom to the mighty and noble rulers of Jerusalem who crucified Christ. They were blind to it. And this is how um, Jesus could say, well, let's hold your finger here and turn to John chapter 5. I want to show you something. I want to show you what it looks like for the natural man to search Scripture and try to figure out Scripture. Because Jesus Jesus um, talked to the Pharisees, the, the rulers of the age, about this. In John chapter 5, verse number 39, he says this. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And that they bear, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. You refuse to come to me, and that's natural man. You you see in in all the time people who do not believe that the Bible is God's word, and they write some book about the Bible, and they twist the Bible to say something that it never really said. Right? You see it all the time. Well, if you if you follow Jesus' parables and do what he says, then you would have X. And you can take your pick. Or God hates X. And it's a complete twisting of the Scriptures. And they never look at the Scriptures to find eternal life. Man can't discover God's wisdom because they're only interested in what eyes and their senses can figure out. That's the gist of, of verse number 9. Look at that verse number 9. It's a, it's a verse that a lot of Christians think is a precious promise, but actually it's not. It's not what he's talking about at all. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who loved him. I've heard many a Christian say, you know, God has prepared for us things that we can't even imagine. And that is true. But this verse doesn't show that. This verse is actually arguing the opposite. You know what this verse is saying? What's the argument? The argument is that the natural man with his senses can't plumb the depths of God's wisdom. And so Paul says it was already written in Isaiah, loose quotation of a couple 
things in Isaiah. He says, no eye can perceive God's wisdom. No ear can hear God's wisdom. The heart of man can't imagine God's wisdom, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Paul's simply saying the natural eyes, natural ears, hearts of men can't know or comprehend um, his wisdom. But you step back for just a minute. And let's look at the big picture. And you're arguing back to me saying, yeah, but pastor, um, I understood the gospel before I was saved. I, I understand it now. I, I read it with my eyes and I hear it with my ears and I understand. That is absolutely true because of what Paul says next, and that is that genuine wisdom is divinely revealed. Genuine wisdom is divinely revealed. Do you realize that God could have created the world and made the world kind of like a big hamster cage or something where he has all the stuff that he placed in existence and then he stayed outside the world and never revealed himself to us? He could have easily have done that. And all of humanity would live without any knowledge of God, any, any knowledge of heaven. He's a spiritual being, and we could spend our entire lives without a knowledge of Him. But instead, God chose to reveal Himself to us and praise God that He did. And He reveals Himself to us most of the time when we're not even looking for Him. Think Abraham. Does the Bible say that Abraham was in Ur looking for God? No, the Bible says that Abraham was an idol worshiper who God came to and said, I'm going to pull you out of Ur. You're not going to worship idols anymore. You're going to worship me, and I'm going to take you to the promised land and make of you a great nation. That's basically what Genesis 12, that's a loose interpretation of Genesis 12. Okay. The, the, the term that theologians use is that God erupted into your life. That's I-R-R-U-P-T-E-D. Uh, erupted into your life and made Himself known. And what He did is He revealed Himself to us. Let's read verses 9 and 10 together and you'll see the, the point of verse number 9. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of a man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. See the the complete phrase? The complete phrase is, yeah, your eyes and your ears and your heart couldn't imagine these because they were revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Make sense? Truth about God is revealed to us through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the divine author of Scripture. He used many human agents, but the message is entirely His. Revelation is God's pure Word. Now let me, let me um, ask a question. And, and I don't want to embarrass anybody here, but I just want to ask. Is there anybody here that's been married more than 30 years? Okay. Alright. Men. I'm, I'm talking only to the men here. Does it sometimes feel like your wife can read your mind? Okay. Can she really read your mind? <laughs> In reality, the answer is no, isn't it? Because if you if she could read your mind, you would be in the doghouse continually. 
She cannot read your mind. Now, let, men, let me ask you one more question. Can you read your wife's mind? That's a tremendous, that's one of the mysteries, right? Now, think about this for just a minute. No matter how well you get to know another person, there is no way that you can know them as well as you know yourself. And only you know the deep thoughts in the recesses of your heart, right? And that's the same with the Spirit. Look at uh, verse number 11. For who knows the, a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What he's building a case for is that we know the mind of God because the Holy Spirit, who is God, knows the mind of God intimately and has revealed that to us. That's the idea that is going on here. So revelation, but there's another thing that he talks about, and that is inspiration. Look at verses 12 and 13. There are a number of, of we's and us statements in here. Notice them with me, will you? Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What is Paul talking about here? Who is he talking about when he uses the word we and us? It's not a blanket promise for all Christians. He's talking about the apostles. He, he's speaking of the apostles who were given the word of God. It's talking about inspiration. He, it's the apostles received the same spirit who knows the mind of God and he gave them understanding. So here's the progression. The spirit who knows the mind of God reveals the mind of God. He reveals it to the apostles and inspires them to write Scripture. The Bible says it's freely given. This is a doctrine of inspiration. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The doctrine of, of inspiration, the Bible teaches that the Spirit used words that the human writers knew and used, but He selected them and arranged them precisely in the order that He wanted. Even we saw already how that Paul was talking about baptism. And he said, well, I know I baptized, you know, Christmas and Gaius. And, well, I may have baptized a few more, but I can't remember that. Even those very words were the exact words that God wanted in the Bible. And so Paul's personality comes out. John's personality comes out when he when he's talking about the fact that, yeah, we ran to the grave after the resurrection and I beat Peter. Well, he didn't say it that way, but that's basically what he was saying. Personalities come out in Scripture in every word, in every phrase, in everything that is done is exactly the word that God wanted, but it was in the words of the divine author. That's called inspiration. And that is what we have going on here. The Spirit reveals it to the apostles who are inspired and then we, we move on to verse number 13. 
they were taught by the Spirit. And the emphasis of the Spirit is really seen in the rest of this. And this is where I want to, this is like the capstone. This is, this is the most important part for you and for me in a way. Verses 14 and 16, because the emphasis on the Spirit ultimately leads to illumination for us. So the Holy Spirit is involved in revelation of God. He's involved in the inspiration of the Word to the apostles. And He's also involved in the illumination of the Word in the heart of man. Listen to what He says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and they cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Get this truth if you don't get anything else. Man by his nature, no matter how smart he is, nor successful he is, or how ingenious he is, does not have the necessary resources to recognize, appreciate, or welcome what the Spirit of God proclaims through the Word of God. A person could read the the Word. He could read the Bible until his eyes fall out. He could study it until he's got it memorized cover to cover. And if the Holy Spirit does not illuminate that person's heart, they will not understand it. It is only when the Holy Spirit takes a stony heart and makes a heart of flesh will that heart understand it. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, man is like a pillar of salt, like Lot's wife. He is like a log or a stone. He is like a lifeless statue which neither uses neither eyes nor mouth, nor senses nor heart, unless he is enlightened, converted, and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Amen? How blessed is this? Now remember, we went all the way back and we said that this is before the world began, before the ages began, God set all of this in motion. That you, if you're here today and you know the Bible and you understand the Bible and it is precious to you and God keeps revealing truths to you, it was ordained before the beginning of the world that the Holy Spirit would make your heart a heart of flesh so that you can understand His Word. Praise be to God. Otherwise, you could read the Bible and read it and read it and never, ever understand the message that God is trying to teach. Illumination. Verse 15 goes on to say this, Because we have the Spirit, we can discern truth from falsehood. Therefore, the natural man may accurately evaluate our faults our shortcomings, our living that's inconsistent with our faith, but he cannot accurately evaluate our faith. That's what he's talking about in verse number 15. Do you remember, I'm going to illustrate it two ways and then we're going to finish. Remember, um, Jesus taught for three years, three and a half years, his ministry, right? You remember that? And the whole time, all the gospel writers keep saying they don't understand. And Jesus would, would say something to them about their lack of understanding. It would almost seem like Jesus is frustrated with their lack of understanding. You, you ever get that, you ever get that feeling? And we sit here and we read the Bible and think, man, these guys were dunces. How come they're looking at God himself and they can't see it? Well, there's a reason for that. Turn with me to Luke 24. Luke 24. 
So Christ has been teaching for three years that he's going to die. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. He's going to lay in the grave for three days. And then he's going to be resurrected. He's been teaching that for three years. And they don't understand it. And in Luke 24 is the famous passage about the road to Emmaus, right? And they still don't have understanding. And towards the end, he's, he's going to break bread with them and, and things. And so you see in, in verse number uh, 41, he says, um, he looked at them and said, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And he said to them, These are my words I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Look, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. It was only after three and a half years of ministry, after hundreds and thousands of hours of teaching after a crucifixion and a resurrection is only right before the ascension did he open the disciples minds to understand scripture and it was only when he opened their minds that they understood isn't that a picture of so many people who have no spiritual understanding? They don't understand what the Bible's about so the, they don't even understand the important truths of the Bible well Jesus in in the upper room, he's teaching the disciples and he says that when I go, he said, I'm going to leave another comforter. You remember that? I'm going to leave the comforter. That word another is a word that means another of the same kind. Literally, what Jesus was teaching is if you have the Holy Spirit, then you have Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus opened the minds for them to understand. And we see the same thing in Acts chapter 16. If you want to turn there, you can. Acts 16, verse number 14 is where we're going to read. In the book of Acts, uh, Paul is going teaching everywhere and, and preaching everywhere, and people are getting saved. And there's this little note in Acts 16 and verse number 14. And it says this, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And then it goes on to say that she got saved. She was saved because the Lord opened her heart. Now stop for just a minute and think what the implication is for your life. Of all the people in the world, there are literally billions of people in the world who not only don't know God, don't care to know God, and are pursuing all the human wisdom there is in this world. They're, they're looking here, they're running there, they're going everywhere, and they're, they're chasing after vanity. And you have the words of Christ. And you understand them. And you love them. And they're precious to you. And you are the ones who can't wait to get to heaven and see Jesus Christ. How blessed are you? And that's what drew my heart Tuesday morning to worship God. Why on earth did God decide to illuminate my heart to understand His Word? I will never know. 
All I could do was worship God. The Corinthians needed to know that. Quit pursuing the things that are vain and futile and pursue Jesus Christ and Him glorified. The gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no greater blessing in all the world than to know Christ. Than to cherish Christ. Than to make Him number one in your life. And the only reason is not that you were smarter than everybody else and figured it out. Not that you were more cagey than everybody else, but because God illuminated your heart. Now you might be here today and you're saying, well, you know, uh, Jared, uh, this stuff just seems like a bunch of hocus pocus to me. You know, I, I just don't understand the Bible. Uh, I kind of understand by what you said, but it just doesn't make, this whole thing just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Can I tell you, come to Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus Christ and he'll give you understanding. Jesus came to earth and lived the perfect life because your greatest need is not peace in this world, it's not security in this world, and it's not even happiness. Your greatest need is to be right with God. Your greatest need is to know that you will spend eternity with God in heaven. And Jesus came and lived that perfect life and died on the cross. Unjust penalty for our sins. Laid in that grave for three days and was resurrected. He conquered death. The eternal one paid an eternal penalty against an eternal God in an instant so that you, a finite one, will not have to pay for all of eternity. And the message of the gospel is repent and believe. Repent means to agree with God. God, my sin is terrible. It's terrible. You look at it as terrible, and I agree with you that it's terrible. And Lord, I know the only way I'm going to get to heaven is by Jesus Christ's sacrifice, believing in what He did, His perfect work. None of my works will do it. Lord, will you please save me? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you have done that today, that's the wisdom of God. That's the gospel of God. And everybody else whose hearts have not been awakened to that, they mock it and they laugh at it. And they don't understand it. If you are not in Christ, come to Him today, will you? Lord, we thank you for your great wisdom. How undeserving are we? And yet, at the same time, how privileged we are that Christ and, and the Lord in eternity past ordained that it be by the gospel of Jesus Christ that people get saved and come to knowledge of Him. That in His eternal Wisdom, it's only when the Holy Spirit illuminates a mind. Illuminates the, the inspired Word of God, which is a revelation of Him, that we can be saved. We thank You so much for that. And I pray, Lord, if there's somebody here who says, you know, the Bible is, I don't understand the Bible. The Bible's boring, uh, or whatever else, that You'll quicken their heart. 
Give them life so they too may be saved. In Christ's name, amen.